We are in a series on eschatology, or the last things, um, and the title of that is, What's Next? Waiting for the Kingdom to Come. That's based on the Thessalonians passage, where Paul says to them, the word has gone out that you have turned from idols to the true God, and you are waiting for his Son from heaven. That's really where we are. We have accepted the gospel, and we are waiting for the kingdom to come. Uh, There are several things we've covered so far. The first one is that Christian eschatology suffers from two errors. One is replacement theology, the idea that the gospel replaced the Torah, that grace replaced works, that the church replaces Israel. Uh, uh, Salvation has always been by grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It's always been by faith. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. This notion that there was a way to earn your way to heaven and now there's a way to come by grace is simply not a true doctrine. The church has not replaced Israel and so that replacement theology is problematic. The other one is missing the point of the gospel. The gospel is a call. We're going to talk more about this next week. The gospel is a call to come out of the world awaiting the kingdom of God, not a power that is going to enter the world and transform it. We have a young generation of Christians who somehow believe that the gospel is going to change the world. No, the gospel calls us out of the world while we wait for God to change the world in the kingdom to come. We also talked about there's a previous creation that ended with a flood, and this present creation was subjected to futility or a curse, uh, and is awaiting the adoption of sons, which will happen at the resurrection and the kingdom. But even this earth will be ultimately destroyed by fire and replaced by a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, and a new humanity often mentioned as one new man, but that's not its real meaning. It's a new humanity. Now last week, we looked at Jesus' statement that salvation is from the Jews. He told the woman at Samaria, you worship what you don't know, we worship what we know, because salvation is from the Jews. And so I explained that God created the nations, the Gentiles, first at Babel, There were no Jews at that point. Then God created the nation of Israel from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob so that they would be, he actually created their culture based on the Torah so that they would be a light to the nations and out of them would come their Messiah who is also the Savior of the world. So that notion of Israel as central to the um, plan of God gets mistaken by missing the point of the gospel and by replacement theology. So today I want to talk about Israel and the covenants. Uh, I want to remind you that salvation is not primarily about individuals getting saved, or as I like to say, issue is or issue ain't God's baby. That's included in it, that's part of it, but it's much bigger. The gospel and salvation is about the the fixing of this entire creation, and that includes humanity and individuals in that context. So today I want to talk about the covenants with Israel and their disbursement and their regathering, because that's central both to the kingdom to come 
and to what salvation is. We're going to look at Romans chapter 9, first five verses there. Romans chapter 9, verse 1 through 5. Paul says, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of the brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons, the glory and the covenants, the giving of the Torah and the temple service and the promises, whose are the patriarchs and from whom is the Messiah according to the flesh, who is overall God blessed forever. Amen. Wow. Now, it's really important to understand what Paul's saying here. He is in agony over the condition of his kinsman Israel. That really indicates that Paul doesn't believe that they're somehow automatically saved. But he is struggling with the fact that they are in large part not following God and missing the, the uh, message that Jesus is the Messiah and that the kingdom to come is at hand. And so he says, I wish I could be cut off for their sake. In other words, he would gladly trade his salvation for theirs. And that's, that's a serious agony. He talks about their advantage, that they have the covenants, they have the patriarchs. All of that is Israel. He's clear that Israel is central to what God's doing, but Israel is in part um, missing the work of God. Now, Paul will claim, and I'm not going to read all the texts, I just want to remind you. Paul will claim that some of them are ignorant of this um, even though the law and the prophets declare it. Earlier in Romans, Paul will say, they are ignorant, talking about his fellow Jews, they are ignorant of the righteousness which is by faith. Now he will explain that when he talks about Abraham, because Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So the Torah talks about a righteousness of faith. Being ignorant of that, he says, these Jews, some of them, try to establish their own righteousness by the law. And Paul says, nobody will ever be saved by keeping the law. Now, Christians have said for years, if you keep the law perfectly, you'll be saved, or you come to Christ. That's not true. If you keep the law perfectly, you can't do it. But even if you did, it would not bring salvation. Paul says, if there was a law that could bring salvation, God would have given it. It is evident, he says, that the law saves no one. So we have to figure out what that law is for. So, he then says, others are veiled from seeing the salvation to allow Gentiles to be included in the salvation. We talked about that last week. In part, they have been hardened. In part, they have been veiled. So that when they read the scriptures, they don't fully see it. For had they seen it, they would have seen John the Baptist as Elijah and Jesus as the reigning Messiah and the kingdom would have come. And you and I would have been left out. 
So God has in part hardened Israel so that they don't come to full faith as a nation until the Gentiles who are supposed to be saved are included in that process. Always the patience of God that seems like he's not doing things on time is for the purpose of bringing a few more into that salvation. Then he also speaks of a remnant of Israel that existed at the time of the Older Testament and continues to exist who remain connected to God. I will talk about them later. Paul talks about them. I have 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. And Paul says there remains at the present time a remnant. Isaiah said when he said they're going to be blind, they'll see but not understand. They'll hear but not get it. That God, if God had not left us a remnant, we would be as Sodom and Gomorrah. So there is a remnant that is faithful to God and is waiting for God to justify the ungodly by faith. We'll talk about that later. So, regardless of their condition, ignorant, blinded, chosen, or hardened, Israel remains central to what God is doing in his plan of salvation. So I want to cover the covenants, and I did a whole series on this, so I'm not going to go in detail. I'm simply going to do a, I used to say drive-by, but that's got a different meaning. A fly-by, I'm going to go quick, quickly over it, all right? So uh, the covenant with Noah that is found in Genesis 8 and 9 is a covenant with the entire creation, And with all of the animals and with all humanity, where God says, I will not destroy this earth by a flood ever again. I will set my bow in the clouds, and you will see it in the next few days as we get some rain. And when God sees the bow, he will will remember his promise. And when we see the bow, we should thank him for his promise. Day and night, seasons, and all of that will continue in this creation Until everything is fulfilled. This present creation however. Is under a curse. And it is under a desire. For it to come into its fullness. And that will happen. At the adoption of sons. So the Noahic. Covenant is with all of creation. The second covenant. In the scriptures is the Abrahamic covenant. And that is specifically. With the people of Israel. God said to to Abraham, I will give you a people. I will make you a people that you can't count. As many as the sand of the sea and as many as the stars. And I will make kings come out of you and I will give you the promised land. And all the families of the earth, those Gentiles that I created at Babel, will all be blessed through you. Because Israel is central. They were required to circumcise their sons as the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. They don't do it for the Mosaic covenant. It remains in there. But it's the Abrahamic covenant. Now Paul's very clear that Abraham is the father of the uncircumcised and the circumcised. Because he got the promise while uncircumcised and then was given circumcision as the sign. Now, you know this because you've read the scriptures. Abraham never inherited the land. He bought a cemetery for his family. And that's the only part of the promised land he ever got. So God's a liar or it still has to happen. 
I suspect it's still going to happen. Okay? So Israel then is made into a nation and we get the next covenant, which is the Mosaic covenant. The Mosaic covenant is Israel taking on the Torah, the commandments of God, so that they can live well in the land. The idea is, God says, I'm giving you the commandments. You will obey them. When you obey them, I will bless you. And when you don't obey them, I will curse you. And if you keep not obeying them, I'll pull you out of the land. That's the Mosaic Covenant. The covenant God has with Israel is when they keep His commandments, He will bless them. And when he, they don't keep His commandments, He will curse them. Not He will save them, and He will damn them. That's by grace through faith. This is how God's covenant works. And so the Mosaic com- covenant with the sign of the Sabbath is about punishment and removal from the land. It's not about individual or national salvation. And that's in Exodus 24. Now there's another covenant that many people don't know. It's the Davidic covenant. It establishes a dynasty of David through Solomon and through the seed of David uh, who is going to be given the promise of a kingdom and a throne that will be for all time. This is found in 2 Samuel 7. This covenant of David is that David will have a son who Israel understands as the Messiah and that son will sit on the throne of David. Now again, this is important. And we do this every Christmas so you guys know these texts. The angel said about Jesus, you shall call him Jesus, that name means salvation, for he shall save his people from their sins. And he will be great, and he will sit on the throne of his father, David. Not the throne of his father in heaven, the throne of his father, David. This is an earthly promise that will happen at the kingdom when the Lord Jesus returns. He's entered into heaven as our great high priest. He will return as King of kings and Lord of lords and sit on the throne of his father David. You see how Israel and the promised land is critical to all of the things that are going to happen at the end of time. So, that promise to David is important. Then, Jeremiah talks about a new covenant. That's the one we hear the most about. There is a new covenant, Jeremiah 31. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Notice no Gentiles are mentioned. I will write my commandments on their hearts. And they will not say, know the Lord. In other words, there's no evangelism in the new covenant. For they will all know me from the greatest to the least. And God says, if heaven and earth goes away, then Israel will go away. And again, I checked this morning, heaven and earth is still here, and Israel is still here. The promises of God are sure. Okay, So, those are the covenants that Paul says Israel has. And the church, by and large, doesn't understand those covenants, and as a result, misunderstands Often what God is doing. That doesn't mean the church isn't saved. doesn't mean the church isn't the church. It just means that we're confused at some level of consciousness. Right? And we call that theology. Right? So, 
Now, I want to talk to you about the disbursement of Israel and the regathering, because when we talk about the gospel and when we talk about the resurrection, we're going to talk about the gathering. Okay? So, I want you to look with me at the end of the Torah, beginning in Deuteronomy chapter 28. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, God basically tells them, if you do this, you'll be blessed. If you did this, you'll be cursed. And he goes on for some 50 verses on that. Okay, And when we get to verse 58, he says this. If you are not careful to observe all the words of this Torah, which are written in this book, to fear this honored and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring extraordinary plagues on you and your descendants, even severe and lasting plagues, miserable and chronic sickness. He will bring back on you the diseases of Egypt, which you were afraid of, and they will cling to you. And also every sickness and every plague which is not written in the book of this law, the Lord will bring on you until you are destroyed. You will be left few in number, whereas you were numerous as stars of heaven, because you did not obey the Lord. It shall come about that as the Lord delighted over you to prosper you and multiply, so the Lord will delight over you to make you perish and destroy you, and you will be torn from the land which you are entering to possess. And we know that Israel has been pulled out of the land totally, and then part of them came back during the time of Jesus, and then out again, and then only recently, mostly in unbelief, some have returned to the land. Moreover, the Lord will scatter you among the peoples from one end of the earth to the other, uh, and you shall serve other gods and wood and stone which you and your fathers have not known. Among those nations you will find no rest, and there will be no resting place for the sole of your feet, for the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing of eyes and despair of soul. So your life shall hang in doubt before you, and you shall be in dread night and day, and you shall have no assurance of your life. In the morning you will say, I wish it was evening. In the evening you will say, I wish it were morning. Because of the dread of your heart and the dread which the sight of your eyes will see. And then the Lord will bring you back to Egypt in ships by the way about which I spoke you. You will never see it again. And there you will offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves. And there will be no buyer. Now, what God says is, ultimately, Israel's not staying in the land. They're going to get dispersed throughout the entire earth, and they're going to suffer in that. I don't think we have to do much review of Jewish history to understand that they have not had a place of peace anywhere in the earth in any century, let alone in the last few. So then, in chapter 30... God gives them a further promise. Chapter 30, verse 1. So it shall be when all these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in the nations where the Lord your God has banished you, 
and you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul according to all that I command you and your sons, then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord has scattered you. If the outcasts are at the ends of the earth, the footnote should say California. The farthest place from Jerusalem is Southern California, all right? Uh, so he says, uh, if, you're, if you're that far away, um, uh, the Lord will gather you and he will bring you back. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed and you shall possess it. And he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. And the Lord your God will inflict all the curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecute you. And you shall again obey the Lord and observe his commandments, which I command you today. Notice Jesus didn't get rid of the commandments when he died and rose again. They're still in place. But they're a covenant with Israel. If you obey the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law, if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, for this commandment that I'm commanding you is not too difficult. I'll talk about that next time when I talk about the gospel. Now, I want you to understand, God has said, part of my plan is this. I'm going to send Israel to the uttermost parts of the earth. And in that process, they're going to be somewhat blinded. And they're going to be hardened towards me. And then I'm going to begin to change their heart. Ezekiel and the other prophets said this was going to happen. God was going to take away their heart of stone and give them a soft heart. He was going to write their the commandments. And they wouldn't say, no, the Lord. They would begin to do that. That new covenant stuff would happen. I don't know if you have paid much attention, but secular Jews are running out. And the group of Jews who are the most zealous are zealous for the Torah and the commandments. And they are striving to reach God and they want Messiah now. And that's, you've seen them with the black hats and the coats, that group is zealous For the Torah and for the law. They still don't fully see Jesus in that context. But there's beginning to be an awakening in their heart. To follow the commandments. To love the Lord their God. With all their mind. All their soul. And all their strength. Now if they think that by doing the commandments. That will bring their salvation. Then we need to grieve for them as Paul did. But if they begin to say. This can only happen by God's grace and by our faith in Him and in the Messiah. Then they will be more open to the gospel if we give them the gospel in a Jewish context and not in a Gentile context. More about that next week. But there's more. So God has told Israel, I'm going to scatter you. And then no matter where you go, you can run, but you can't hide. I'm going to find you. I'm going to change your heart and I'm going to draw you back to me. And then I'm going to gather you back into the land. And then you will honor me as you should and I will bless you as I can. Now, look at Isaiah 56.
Isaiah 56 says, Thus says the Lord, Preserve justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come, and my righteousness to be revealed. How blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who takes hold of it, who keeps from profaning the Sabbath, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Now he's going to talk to non-Jews. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For the Lord says to the eunuch who keeps my Sabbaths to choose what pleases me and holds fast my covenant, to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial, a name better than that of sons and daughters. And I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. But the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to the Lord, to love the name of the Lord, to be as servants, everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant. Even those I will bring to my holy mountain, I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Now Jesus quoted that verse when he was cleansing the temple. There has never been a time when Gentiles have been able to go to the temple and offer sacrifices. So again, either God doesn't know what he's talking about, or this still has to come. And Ezekiel sees the temple of the kingdom period and the nations coming up. And those who are faithful to the Lord will bring offerings in that sense. Now I want you to look at verse 8. The Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel declares, Yet others I will gather to them, to those already gathered. In other words, there's more than Jews to be gathered. I told you, the Jews are partially not gathered yet to allow us to come in. We'll see that with the gospel next week. I want you to turn to Acts 1.6. You'll see a text there where when Jesus is resurrected and he's talking about the kingdom, the disciples keep asking him, are you going to restore the kingdom now? Are you going to establish the throne of David? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has put in his hands. Because Jesus even doesn't know when he's coming back. He said the angels don't know when he's coming That means how Lindsay and all the prophets don't know when he's coming back. The angels don't know when he's coming back. I have no clue when he's coming back. But that he's coming back, I'm sure. And so the Father will do that. In the meantime, Jesus said, you will be witnesses to me in two places. In Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And the uttermost parts of the world. In other words, you will be witnesses to me within the promised land and to the uttermost parts of the world. And we will see it's to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. That's next week. But I want you to catch this. The gospel must go to Israel first to let them know that their gathering is being prepared. Now there's a passage in John Where Jesus says to his disciples, I have other sheep, and I have to get them, and they will follow my name, and I will bring them, 
And they will be, there will be one flock and one shepherd. That gathering of Israel will be included with the gathering of the nations ultimately into one new humanity that we'll see as we look at this. So the gospel is to Israel to tell them the kingdom is about to come and it's to the Gentile to say, let go of this world and come because this next world is going to be better. The gospel and the gathering are critically connected. They are focused on Israel, but they include us Gentiles. It can't be possible that Israel would be left out of salvation. And Paul says that in the, in the following Romans passages. That's why he says, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes, then all Israel will be saved, and that will bring life from the dead. In other words, resurrection. That's what will happen at the very end of time. So, one more little verse, and then I'll be done. Romans chapter 3. Beginning at verse 21. Paul says, Now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifest, though it is witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. God displayed publicly him as a propitiation in his blood through faith. To demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he had passed over sins Previously committed. Now, I want you to see what he says. Verse 27. Where then is boasting? It's excluded. No, but by what kind of law? By the law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, the Gentiles also. Since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. So we don't nullify the law through faith. We establish the law. In other words, Jesus said, I didn't come to get rid of the law. I came to bring the law into full operation. That will happen at the kingdom. We have missed so much of this because we don't look at the parts. So I'm giving you the Legos each week and at the end of the series, we'll put them all together and take a look at that. Let's pray.